I will be reading verses 13 through 21. And as we read this, I want uh, someone to keep track of how many times the word know, K-N-O-W, is used here. Um, I haven't gone through and counted them, but um, we want to know. Is there someone who will do that for us? All right. Patrick has it down. All right. So, um, 1 John was written that we may know. And John is wrapping up this letter, and um, I'll read through it, and um, we'll see what we can know from this passage. 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Now, this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of Him. If anyone sees his brother sinning a sin which does not lead to death, he will ask, and he will give him life for those who commit sin not leading to death. There is sin leading to death. I do not say that he should pray about that. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is a sin not leading to death. We know that whoever is born of God does not sin. But he who has been born of God keeps himself from the wicked one, and the wicked one does not touch him. We know that we are of God, and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. We know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know Him who is true, and we are in Him who is true, in His Son, Jesus Christ. For this is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. All right. How many times? Seven. Some of, I just know there were some other type A personalities here that were counting along. How many of you agree with that seven? There were a lot of you counting along. Okay. They, they just didn't depend on you, I guess, uh, or just con confirmation. So, in this conclusion of this letter, John, as we've been seeing already, has write, been writing this so that they would know that they are a child of God. And in this conclusion, he's wrapping it up. Today, what we're going to do is take a, a flyover over these last verses and, um, and see some things that God wants us to know. And then in the next coming weeks, not next week, but in the, the coming weeks, we'll come back and spend a little more time looking at these. Uh, in, 
in looking at these things that we know, John MacArthur says in this passage there are five certainties. Um, We will be looking at four things that we can know. We live in a day, and there is a, a movement in America today amongst quote-unquote Christianity. It's called the Emerging Church. And basically, they, they delight in the fact of what we can't know. Well, we don't know for sure that this is that, and we don't know for sure this. And, and it's generally a, a definite stand on nothing, if you please. But it's really... Um, gaining ground. John wants us to glory in the fact that we can, should, and do know certain things. Now, uh, you've heard me say before, and um, the older I get, the less I know about many things, but the things that I do know, I know more, and the conviction is deeper than ever. You know, isn't it interesting? Before you have kids, you know everything about child training, right? And then once you have kids, you find out, oh, I guess it doesn't go by the book, does it? I, I still, still remember... <clears throat> Um, We had college friends come and visit us, and we had three kids then, and they didn't have any kids. And you could just tell they were like, these two don't have a clue about raising kids. And they were true in that, I'm sure. But their whole attitude was, we won't do it that way, and we won't. And this is my snide personality at times. The day came around when they had kids, and we visited them, and with delight I sat back and realized that they didn't have all the answers to raising kids as well. And their whole attitudes had changed about that. That's kind of what life is. Someone has said there's no one that knows more than a sophomore in college. The people that have said that have been professors in colleges, okay? And then we spend the rest of our life finding out, oh, I guess I don't know all that I thought I knew. But there are certain things that as followers of Christ, we should know. And he says here, first of all, these things have I written unto you, verse 13, who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. The first aspect of this is that it is eternal life, meaning that God intends us to live forever, and that He came to give us life. John chapter 10 and verse 10 The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, but he said, But I have come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. No man will have rest in his soul until he knows that he has eternal life. And this isn't an an arrogant 
presumption that we make to say, I know that I have eternal life. It's not up to our doing. It's up to, this is what God said. God said that whosoever claims the blood of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of his sins has everlasting life. Shall never perish, but has everlasting life. It's not something that we hope for, or maybe so, or think so. He said, I I wrote these things unto you that you may know that you have eternal life. Maybe you've been at this stage in your life before, or um, undoubtedly you've run into some people, and, and you may say, I am so thankful that I have everlasting life. And they may look at you like, that's an arrogant statement to make that, that you know you have everlasting life. Again, it's not arrogant because it's the promise of God's Word. Now, we might... Say it with an arrogant spirit, I have everlasting life and you don't. And that is wrong to convey that attitude. But it is not wrong to have a confidence to know that I am kept by the power of God. I am not kept by my own righteousness. I am not kept by my own deeds. I am kept In the family of God, my sins are forgiven by the power of God, and I have everlasting life. Now, we grow in understanding that everlasting life, but uh, one of the songs that we sang, I know not how the Spirit moved convicting me of sin, something along that line. Um, let me get it right here for you. <clears throat> and and it, I thought as we sang that, um, maybe I won't get it here for you, all right? I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed. I know not how this saving faith to me he did impart. You may not be able to explain, you cannot explain every detail about his saving faith. Nor how believing in his word, I don't know how, I can't explain it, how believing in his word brought peace within my heart, but I know who I have believed. And I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed to him. I have committed to him my soul. And him that cometh to God, he will in no wise cast out. And he holds us in his hand, and no one is able to pluck them out of the Father's hand. So that we know that we have everlasting life. Now, we possess eternal life, and God is within us, yet the full expression of that will not be fully realized until we leave this world. After we die and enter into the presence of God, we will know the fullness of eternal life. So, here we are. 
by faith we have believed that we are a sinner, that Christ alone paid the penalty for our sin. We receive that gift, and we won't know the fullness of that until we are with God in heaven. But until then, we're living in this world, and we have everlasting life, but we also have needs in this world. We face difficult situations. We have struggles. We have concerns. We have problems. We have issues that we need to deal with. And so John goes on and he said, We know that we have eternal life. And because of that, we continue in Christ. Then he goes on and he says, But understand... Now, this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of Him. John says, we know we have eternal life. And while we're waiting for the fullness of that, he then says, we know that God answers prayer. God not only hears it, but He gives us a hearing. You know the difference, don't you? There's a great difference between hearing something and the difference of giving someone a hearing. We've all been there as a child. You hear your parents, and what you're hearing is the words, but... It comes through to your mind like... And parents, you've been on the other end. You're looking at them and you're talking and it's like, is anybody home? We hear that, but we don't give it a hearing. But... If you say to a child, hey, I've got a way, an easy way, you can make 20 bucks. Usually, you get a hearing then. The eyeballs are focused. It isn't, John says, as a child of God, we are still in this world and there are needs and issues and concerns. And he says, it's not just in the happy hereafter, but it's right now we have this confidence that God hears us. And not just He hears us, that He gives us a hearing. He listens to us. And we have access to God. The confidence, John is saying, that God hears us and the confidence that He will do what is best. So we have this confidence that I have access to God. I have a hearing before God. See, but don't we wrestle with this? Who am I that God should listen to me? Well, you're a child of God. That's who you are. Yeah, but there are other people better than me. That isn't the basis of why God hears us. The basis of our access to God is Jesus Christ. And he says that we have the confidence 
that God hears, the confidence that He will do what is best, and true prayer rests in the knowledge of the character of God and the nature of God. Now, we're going to come back in future weeks and deal with this in, in much more detail because we are sitting here and we are saying, wait a minute, I don't have that confidence that if I come to God and ask Him that He will give me whatever I will ask Him because I have prayed for a sick relative and my prayer was not answered and they died. Or I prayed for a wayward child and they haven't yet come back. Or I have prayed this and it has not happened. How many of you can relate to that? How many of you think those things along those lines? How many of you are hearing wah, 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 wah? Seriously, the majority of you have never thought God says, you pray and I will answer. And you've never thought, that may be true for everybody else, but it isn't for me. How many of you have had every one of your prayers answered the way you wanted it prayed? The way you wanted it. Now that's more real. Well, I didn't, I, I didn't ask for a response there. So I don't know if it was real or if you're just dead. You see what I'm saying? We all wrestle with this. God says, ask and it shall be given. And I ask, there must be something wrong with me. We'll come back and deal with this more. But John is saying, you have the confidence, and we ought to have the confidence that I can go directly to God the Father. And because I know God, and this comes back to our Wednesday study on quieting a noisy heart, the key is knowing God. Because I know God's character and I know His nature, I have confidence that He will do what is best for me, and I rest in that. And I have confidence in prayer that I can go to God and rest in Him. So, John is saying, we know that we have eternal life. We know that God answers prayer. And then verse 18 and when we come back again, we'll deal with verses um, 16 and 17. We're not going to do that today. We're doing a, a slow flyover of these verses, okay? The next thing we can know is verse 18. We know that whosoever is born of God does not sin. But he who has been born of God keeps himself and the wicked one does not touch him. We have seen as we've studied through 1 John <clears throat> that an evidence that we are a child of God is that we have victory over sin. We know, John is saying, that one born of God <clears throat> cannot continue on in sin. That means that if there is a Christian profession, there must also be, if it's genuine, an accompanying change in the life. There is a basic change in our attitude towards sin. And if there is no change in our attitude towards sin, he's saying, as he said throughout this book, we're deceiving ourselves 
to think that we are a Christian. So he isn't talking about perfection. It's not a complete absence of sin. It's the pattern of righteousness. The pattern of unbroken pattern of obeying sin is broken now, as we've already seen as we went through this. Before we just had the flesh, and that's all we could obey. Now we have the Spirit, and as we yield to the Spirit, the power of the flesh over us is broken. We have the law of God dwelling within us. We have Christ dwelling within us. We have the ministry of the Spirit. And now, when we sin, the Spirit of God convicts us, and we respond accordingly, so that we walk in victory over sin. Sin is incompatible with the law of God, with the work of Christ that dwells, has taken place in us, and with the ministry of the Spirit. A lady was attracted to the Christian faith and was fascinated by what the Bible taught and wanted to know more about it. And as she learned more, she said, She did not want to make any change in her life and wondered if it would be all right. Can I love God and keep living my way? We may hear that and think, well, that's an odd proposition. But that's a proposition that many, many people want to do. I want to receive the benefits of eternal life, access to God, but I want to still run my life. And what John is saying here, if you are a child of God, that's not the question you'll ask. The question is, God, what do you want me to do? As the Apostle Paul at his salvation said, Lord, what will you have me to do? And what he's saying is, because the Spirit of God dwells within us, He now gives us power to break this pattern of sin over and over and over again, this pattern of sin that we followed. He that is born of God does not continue in this pattern of sin. The, the original language bears this out, and throughout this whole book we've already looked at this. So he says, we should know that we have victory over sin. The things I used to do, I don't do them anymore. The things I used to do, I do different things now. I never used to desire to read the Bible, but I desire to read the Bible. I've broken the habit of... of living my own life. Not I've broken it. The Spirit of God has said, you have given me control of your life. Now this is what we do. And as you obey the Spirit, you'll see the pattern of sin is broken. So he says in verse 18, we know that whosoever is born of God does not continue in the pattern of sin because he has been born of God He keeps himself, and the wicked one does not touch him. 
And then he says in verse 19, We know that we are of God, and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. We know that we have eternal life. We know that God answers prayer. We know that we have victory over sin through Jesus Christ. And now we know that we belong to Him and know Him. Verse 19, We know that we are of God. I belong to God. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. This is an important truth that we must know. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 19. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. I now belong to God. I am not my own. God bought me with His blood and I accepted His transaction, if you please. So that in another passage in Galatians, Paul said, It's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. My body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. I am not my own. I belong to God, and He owns me. Now, that ought to have a couple of of, um, profound impacts on our life. First of all, I am not my own. I can't do what I want. I need to do what He wants. Let's say, for example, um, you sold a camper to someone. And they said, hey, I'm not going to be able to pick it up uh, for a month, but um, feel free to use it, and in another month I'll, I'll be able to, to pick it up. But he says, I want to have it in that month. On the third weekend of that month, I, I want to be able to come down and work on it. Since you are not the owner anymore, you can use it as he dictates to you. But if he comes down the third week into that month and you leave a note where the camper was and said, oh, we decided to take it down to Rathbun and go camping, he has every right to come down there, unhook that thing from your truck and take it and go wherever he wants with it. Why? He is the owner. We sometimes think that we are our own and that we can do whatever we want and He ought to provide whatever we need for our own desires. No, I belong to God now. And you, you, can, you might look at that as the negative sense, but the positive sense is the reality that I am God's. He is my Father. He will take care of me. I am on the winning side. Go talk to Dad about this. I am His. And it relieves us of of the weight of responsibility. 
I belong to the Father. I'm a child of the King. And, and in understanding, I'm a child of the King, I ought to live like it, act like it, behave like it, and understand it. 2 Timothy chapter 2 says, The Lord knows those that are His. He knows us, and we can know Him. And what John is saying is, we belong to God, and we know Him through Jesus Christ. And it is a relationship. It's not just some duty, well, I've got to do this. No, it is a relationship. He speaks to me, and I am able to walk with Him and fellowship with Him. And He says, I know that I belong to God, and I am growing to know Him more and more. You ought to be able to look at your life and say, I know the heart of God more today than I did two years ago. Because God's trying to teach you His heart. And in understanding, to be able to say, you know what? I don't know what's going on in this world. I don't know what's going on in my health. I don't know what's going on in my family. But I know this. I know I have everlasting life. I know I have access to God. I know that God is at work in my life. And I can have victory over sin. And I know I belong to God. I am not my own. And I am called to a relationship with Him. And because of that, today, I have great hope and I have great peace. John is writing to these believers to encourage them. And he's saying, we know, we know, we know. What do you really know? Because the day may come when everything else crumbles under our feet. And yet we can know. I have eternal life. I have access to the Father. I have victory over sin. And I belong to Him. One of England's great Christian prime ministers, William Gladstone, one of his colleagues once said of him, I don't mind that Gladstone always seemed to have an ace up his sleeve. He said, what makes me angry is his maddening assurance that it was the Almighty who put it there. Gladstone had an unwavering confidence that God's going to provide because he knew he had everlasting life. He knew he had access to the Father he knew he had victory over sin, and he knew he belonged to God and was in a personal relationship with God. To walk with God in such a manner that you know you talk to Him and you know this is what God wants me to do. This is the confidence that we have in Him, that we may know Him who is everlasting life. Heavenly Father, I pray today that our confidence as believers would be strengthened and established through our relationship with You. Lord, I pray if there is one person here today that does not know 
that they have everlasting life. I pray today before they leave that they would call upon you for the forgiveness of sins. Be adopted into your family. Lord, I pray for a believer today that that maybe has believed the devil's lie that you won't listen to their cry. Lord, help them to see that your ears are open, that you will give a hearing. And Lord, I pray today for believers that maybe have believed the lie that they can't walk in victory. I pray that we would understand that we are not our own, that the power of You dwells within us, and as we yield to You, that sin does not have dominion over us. And I pray today we would walk in the victory of You and know the confidence of that victory. To know the confidence that we are in a relationship with You, that we are owned by You and that we rest in that fact. Lord, may we this week as You tarry and we live, may we live with confidence and victory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.